analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to the Woodford Show. Interesting day shaping up here in Kamloops. There's some cloud out there. And then you look down the North Thompson, there seems to be a line across the sky, a blue sky on the other side of that. We'll have to see what plays out over the city itself. Uh, exciting show for you ahead. We'll talk to uh, Bruce Cran, President of the Director of the Consumers Association of Canada, about cell phones and Ticketmaster. We'll also talk to Arjun Singh, President of the BCM, about legal cannabis, next week's budget, and a whole lot more. And we've also got uh, new BC Lions quarterback, uh, quite a grab for the Leos. Mike Riley joins us to finish off the show. But first, we're going to begin with Rattlesnakes. Pleasure to be joined by the wildlife biologist with the University of California, Mike Cardwell. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning, Shane. I'm great. So you're in Kamloops today making a presentation at Thompson Rivers University. Uh, what are you going to be talking about? Well, um, I'm going to talk about rattlesnake research, uh, the same species of rattlesnake that you have here in British Columbia, but uh, from down in California, where it's, of course, much warmer. Yeah. What, uh, what's going on as far as research in rattlesnakes? Is there uh, sort of promising scientific stuff there, medicine? What, what's the deal? Well, there's a lot of, yeah, there's all sorts of promising stuff. And from several um, areas of interest, there's, of course, interest in medicine from, from snake bite um, physicians who want to know more about what to expect after rattlesnake bites to, you know, research for new therapeutic drugs that are modeled after some of the many uh, proteins and peptides that are in rattlesnake venom that we don't understand much about yet. Interesting. Uh, here in Kamloops, or sort of the, the surrounding Thompson region, um, we do have rattlesnakes, as you know, but uh, they do seem to be in a bit of trouble reading up their, their environment and their home as we spread out and build our houses and that kind of thing. Uh, is that a sort of a similar situation in the sort of southwest United States or no? No, it certainly is. Um, you know, the uh, uh, encroachment of, of people and buildings and roads and cars into uh, rural areas where uh, wildlife previously been undisturbed, of course, uh, does destroy habitat. And, and especially with snakes, there's a lot of road mortality. And, and of course, people often uh, intentionally kill the snakes when they find them. Yeah. Is that something people shouldn't do? I mean, how do you, have you not, uh, people tend to have that fear of, oh my God, there's a rattlesnake or, or whatever, and uh, it's poisonous. So we got to, we got to get rid of that. Uh, how would they deal with it? Just back off, call somebody. What's your, what's your suggestion? Yeah, exactly. I mean, most people that are bitten by rattlesnakes um, are intentionally interacting with the snake. They're trying to catch it or kill it or make it rattle or take a picture and they just get too close. And, you know, there more more people are killed, at least in the United States, I'm sure here in Canada, um, more people are killed by dogs and, and horses than by rattlesnakes every year. Um, so they're, and, and they're, you know, they're one of the most effective predators of uh, rodents and keep the rodent yeah. population in check. Yeah. What do we stand to lose if we lose these things? I don't know. I mean, I know they're sort of not officially endangered here, but they're certainly inching their way that way as we build more roads and, and invade their habitat. But uh, if, we, if we stand to lose these things, what do we lose overall? Well, I think the, the, the biggest thing is where they, they uh, exist now. Uh, they keep the rodent populations in check. And, you know, if we lose the rattlesnakes, why either other predators are going to have to step up and uh, fill that, that void or we're going to be, um, you know, really overrun with uh, ground squirrels and mice and voles and that sort of thing. One of the other things affecting rattlesnakes, of course, is they, uh, they do get hunted for their skin. I'm not so sure how prevalent that is anymore. You see uh, news stories pop out once in a while about uh, someone corralling a bunch of rattlesnakes to sell off to various people for whatever purposes. Is that still a sort of a, a problem out there or are we getting past that? 
You know, in most areas, I can't speak so much to Canada. I doubt if it's a big problem in Canada because you have so few places where there actually are rattlesnakes. But in the United States, there are a few states that still a lot of wholesale collecting and killing for commercial trade. And um, that's really frowned upon. And most states uh, have stopped that. And many states now are protecting their local rattlesnakes that are um, you know, being squeezed by human development. Uh, tell me about uh, about what some of the work you're doing down in California on the rattlesnake front. Uh, obviously of interest because we brought you up here to chat about it. Uh, but what's so exciting? What drives you to look at these snakes and what are you doing with them? Well, um, I've always been fascinated by animals that, you know, I viewed as a kid as um, creatures that other people were unreasonably fearful of, whether it's rattlesnakes or spiders or bats. Um, you know, a lot of those things are harmless. Some of them are are can be dangerous but they're they're feared all out of proportion to the real hazard that they possess so you know i've always been interested and then with the interest in um drug research and trying to to model new therapeutic drugs uh after components of rattlesnake venom you know the researchers in the lab need to know what the venom does to the prey in the field to understand what these new molecules that they can see on spectrographs and things um, might be able to do for them from a therapeutic point of view. So it's fun to get out in the field and uh, spend time learning about the animals and dispelling myths about the animals and at the same time, you know, providing information that's useful for um, drug research and for uh, learning how to treat snake bites more effectively. What are some of those myths that you're trying to dispel? Well, you know, a lot of people, for instance, think that rattlesnakes attack people. And I, you know, when I do uh, talks to public groups, it's not uncommon to have people claim that they were chased by a rattlesnake or I had someone recently tell me that the rattlesnake chased his family into the car and then bit at the tire as it drove away. And I used to not know what to tell people to avoid arguing with them in front of an audience. And now I pull my cell phone out and remind them that, you know, we all have a video camera in our pocket. And uh, if you search YouTube, you're going to be hard-pressed to find videos of rattlesnakes attacking people. I mean, these things want nothing to do with something our size. What, uh, what should people do if they stumble across them out there? I mean, obviously, they're, they're equipped to give us a bit of a warning. I've never encountered one personally, even though I've uh, done a lot of hiking in this region, and we do have them here, but I've never, thankfully, I've never stumbled on one. Uh, but I've always wondered if I'm out walking around and you hear the rattle, what my reaction would be. Uh, do you just jump backwards as fast as you can? Uh, what do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I, I like to tell people, you know, try and stay at least twice the length of the snake hole away from it. If it looks like a two-foot snake, stay at least four feet away or uh, a three-foot snake, six feet away. You, know, you can take a picture from a safe distance, but if you turn around and walk away from it, your chance of being bitten by it are zero. As soon as you interact with it, even if it's for a, a noble purpose, as soon as you choose to interact with it, your chance of being bitten goes through the ceiling. So, you know, unless it's in your backyard and you've got kids or dogs or something, um, you know, the best thing to do is Enjoy the encounter from a safe distance and turn around and leave it alone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the scientific side of things, I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of different varieties of rattlesnakes. I assume that there's uh, different grades of, of venom among them. Uh, do each of them provide something interesting scientifically with the potential for, um, you know, discovering new medicine or whatever the deal is? Is, is? is there different varieties that kind of present different kinds of molecule, all that kind of stuff, or no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the more we learn about the venom composition, the more complex and variable it is. And most of that, of course, is done by molecular scientists in the lab. But, you know, many rattlesnake venoms will have as many as 100 different proteins and peptides 
in the venom, and not all of them are individually toxic, but when you put them together, um, you know, they can be neurotoxic, they can destroy muscle tissue, they can cause the blood to coagulate, some cause the blood not to coagulate, some of them are analgesics that mask pain, and the interest from the drug researchers is that um, most of these functions have a therapeutic value, and what they're finding in the um, various proteins in snake venoms that do these things, they often use a mechanism that is much cleaner and simpler than the drugs that are already on the market. So they'll potentially have less side effects. So there's just a huge interest in the uh, snake venoms and other kinds of animal venoms, frankly, in the uh, drug market. Is there is there drugs out there now that have been derived from rattlesnake venom at all, or is this something we're working towards? Uh, there are... Uh, Lots of things in the pipeline, and there are a couple rattlesnake venom um, drugs. I can't remember off the top of, the, top of my head uh, what they are. I know there's a diabetes uh, drug that's been on the market for several years that's modeled after uh, compounds found in Gila monsters. No, interesting. Venomous lizard, a venomous lizard. Um, you know, and, and they're just an example of knowing the, the natural history from field research on Gila monsters. We know that they sleep most of their life away. They binge, stuff themselves with food when there's baby rodents available in the spring, and then they sleep for months, yet their blood sugar doesn't vary a whole lot. So research into that led to uh, a diabetes drug that's been on the market for years now. Wow, that's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it just amazing the potential lying around all, all around us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, uh, before I let you go, just give me the details, uh, the when, the where, uh, what time your talk is tonight. Uh, it's 4 o'clock uh, this afternoon at uh, TRU. I don't have the building number in front of me, but I'm sure it's uh, it's available. I can get it to you so you can uh, let folks know uh, after we're done talking. But it's 4 o'clock this afternoon on campus. Um, I don't have the exact location. Yeah, I've, let's see here. It's the, I believe it's the Ken Leppin building, and you're in room S203 if the information in front of me is correct. Probably is. <laughs> there we go. Well, Mike, uh, thanks for taking a few t- few moments out of your day to chat about rattlesnakes, and uh, thanks for coming to visit us. Look forward to your talk this afternoon. Hey, thanks very much, Shane. Okay, appreciate it. That's Mike Cardwell. He's a wildlife biologist with the University of California, obviously doing some pretty interesting work with rattlesnakes, uh, especially among species that we both share here in the Thompson and down in California. We'll take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll talk cell phones and Ticketmaster with the president and director of the Consumers Association of Canada, Bruce Cran. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome to the Woodford Show. Pleasure to be joined on the program by the President of the Consumers Association of Canada, Bruce Cran. Good morning, Bruce. Welcome. Good morning, Shane. Okay, Bruce. Uh, a couple of things in the in this week's throne speech caught my ear. One of them, I think, is is a big annoyance uh, for most Canadians, uh, and that's the price of their cell phone bill. Uh, cell phone companies, namely the big three, have had kind of a headlock on competition here in Canada. Now, the provincial governments come out in the throne speech and say, uh, "Hey, we're going to do something about this." I'm not entirely sure what they can do. This is sort of federal jurisdiction, not much in the way of the provincial. But uh, I guess from your perspective, uh, what do you think of of what was floated in the throne speech as far as uh, a promise to do something about cell phone contracts, make them more reasonable, and B, what's the problem here, really? Says consumers and the cell phone business, it's 
pretty horrifying that we're paying, I believe, the uh, the highest prices in the world. Uh, I don't know what they can do about it either, but um, I am very interested to see what their uh, attempt will entail. And uh, it's got to be a step in the right direction, I guess, just to know that they're on our side. But it is a federal matter, and uh, I don't know uh, just how successful this is going to be. But uh, to give you an example, you know, the telephone costs generally were worldwide. I was recently in Asia. At one point, I was out in the middle of a, a rice-planting uh, expedition. There was probably about 200 people around me of various types working hard. And I could hear these noises. I thought it was a cricket to start with, but there was, it wasn't crickets. It was uh, tel- cell phones. Now, these people are earning a few dollars a week, and, uh, and yet they've got access to telephone uh, services as they work. They've got them hanging on their belts and whatever. And uh, it, it, they've got to be getting that service for a fraction of what we pay here. Uh, I was also in Sydney, Australia. I've got a plan here, and I, I had a plan over there for the month I was there. It's, it's less than half price of what we pay for something similar here. And uh, I, I, I uh, certainly wish the provincial government uh, good luck with doing something, and I'll sit back and uh, wait with great interest to see what that happens to be. <laughs> uh, what is the problem, though? I mean, why is Canada so far, and it's not just cell phones, actually, Bruce. I mean, it's even uh, broadband, uh, broadband Internet. I remember when Netflix came into Canada, they complained loudly about uh, the problems around delivering on broadband in Canada compared to the United States. I don't know what it is with these technologies, Internet, cell phone, that kind of stuff, but why are we lagging so far behind on competition and prices compared to other countries? Well, it seems, unfortunately, that we're always reactors and not uh, innovators in, in Canada. We don't, um, we don't seem to take up the cudgel for anything to do with consumers if they'll... The, 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 the limitation is how much will consumers pay and we'll take that, whatever it might be. Uh, it's always been thus with, with the three big uh, players at the top. Uh, there have been some attempts by the federal government, rather futile ones, to introduce competition. The competitors eventually were bought out by the bigger ones, and we ended up right where we started from. So whatever's happening here, I guess, um, uh, you know, the, the value of the big uh, telephone companies and their goodwill towards uh, politicians is a heck of a lot more than they think of us as consumers. The other interesting thing from a consumer perspective in the throne speech was this uh, this constant irritation of dealing mainly with Ticketmaster, obviously, uh, but in buying concert tickets because you have the situation with software or bots out there that snap up all these tickets on behalf of resellers. Never mind what's going on behind the scenes of Ticketmaster, and then tickets fastly go out of reach for for most people. Uh, the province is saying, "Hey, we're going to do something about this." The promise itself is not new, but uh, what sort of caught your ear on that one, and what should be done? Well, they've been at it for about 15 years, maybe it's even 20 years, uh, trying to solve this situation. It's, it is resolvable. Uh, Ontario has uh, taken some actions that will certainly help, but why don't they just, all they've got to do in some fashion is eliminate the ability of these people to use their bots for buying and, and whatever have you, or eliminate scalpers entirely. They made a couple of half-hearted forays into that in, in British Columbia, uh, in recent years, but nothing that's, uh, that's going to be concrete and helpful. Perhaps they'll come up with something this time that will do the job, but I don't know what they're making. It's not a, it's not a huge deal. It's, uh, it's uh, a pretty simple deal. All they've got to do is, is, is eliminate the resale of these, these tickets. 
and um, it's 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 quite disgusting when you think you can pay up to five times as much as the ticket originally cost if you do, you weren't one of the lucky ones that got in and beat the bots, which is probably almost impossible. But uh, it's a pretty simple solution. The, our, our government here at the moment and, and previous ones have been uh, shown a, a great forte at making simple decisions into complicated ones. Look at uh, look at Uber. Um, that's another one. We should have Uber and the like in here now, Lyft, what, whatever the other ones are, and yet we've got nothing. Uh, when I was in Sydney, it was absolutely marvellous. I could just dial up my phone and I had a, a car there in, in two minutes. So sometimes a selection of three, four, or five, whichever one I wanted. Uh, why haven't we got that? Yeah, well, I think that's a big frustration to hitting a boiling point out there. And I mean, my God, um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's just time to grow up and do it already. And that's on both the governments, uh, the current NDP one for sure, but also the previous PC Liberal one who wasn't any friend to ride sharing either. No, or to, or to consumers. They're not. <laughs> We're the, the forgotten. Um people at the moment, consumers, even though that's most of us, uh, we're, we're treated pretty badly and uh, we're taken advantage of. And one of the problems, I think, with Canadians, and generally we're such nice people, we don't complain enough. and We don't do anything about things that really bother us. We sit back and take it for far too long. Uh, just back to the ticket reseller thing. I mean, a lot of people focus on bots, but I was caught by what you said. Uh, perhaps it's time to legislate out sort of those uh, those um, second selling sites, uh, far from the point of contact with Ticketmaster, but the ones that really rip you off. Yeah, well, they're parasitic anyway. You know, let's face it; uh, those tickets would sell out anyway. Um, uh, I don't think there's any advantage to selling them out in minutes rather than than days or weeks. Whatever the concert's going to go, it's going to go. Uh, but we're totally disadvantaged. Uh, we've got those resellers buying the tickets. Uh, there are only so many of them to begin with, so they've got easy, uh, an easy market. And um, it's uh, just disgusting the way we're being treated as, uh, as the end of the line, or the, the only buyer is the consumer anyway, and, and yet we're being taken advantage of by multiples of two, three, four, and five times, and sometimes even more. Um, in the, on this reseller stuff. So the solution is pretty easy. All they've got to do is do it. And uh, at least they've mentioned that again, too, in this, this budget. So I can't fault them for that, I suppose. But let's get on with it, guys, and get some stuff done. Bruce, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Shane. Bye. That was Bruce Cran, President and Director of the Consumers Association of Canada. We'll take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we'll discuss cannabis, the provincial budget, and more with the President of the Union of BC Municipalities, Arjun Singh. Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Pleasure to be joined on the phone by the Union of BC Municipalities President and Kamloops Councillor Arjun Singh. Good morning, Arjun. Hey, Shane. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. You? Yeah, I'm good. It's been an interesting time. Everything is going well. I just started looking forward to getting home today. I've out in the island for a couple of days and some training for local government and uh, we're nice to get back to uh, back home today. 
Sounds good. Hey, I wanted to bring you on because there's a couple issues bubbling away that I wanted to get uh, your two cents on. First and foremost, uh, there was a review into the local government auditor general's office, uh, and there was some question about whether that office would continue to survive. Um, the final ruling is it is serving some good out there. Uh, it's doing its purpose. Therefore, it will continue to operate. Uh, from a UBCM perspective, um, what, what's the thought there? Well, I mean, our position is still we don't support the office. I mean, it, it uh, unfortunately, the way it rolled out initially, with no consultation and collaboration with local governments, was, was very unfortunate. Um, and, you know, the, the report that came out, the review that we, we did participate in the, in the review, we were at the table talking with the province about the office. Um, the, um, and that was a fair process, but the, uh, uh, the, the cost of each individual ATLG uh, review right now is about, half a million dollars. And so, I mean, you know, value for money, is, is that even happening? So, you know, as, as obviously as the um, review kind of gets more known and uh, as more communities get audited, you know, we'll hear more from our membership. But right now, our position remains the same and that we don't support the office. Do you get feedback from municipalities that have been audited for various reasons that they found it helpful, Arjun, or, or is there complaints with they got to deal with this or what's the general sense of municipalities? I think the general sense is that the office has definitely improved in its operations since the uh, initial uh, launch of the office. And, uh, you know, but I think still the, the notion is, like, you know, if you're going to do something with us, involve us. Um, and so that, that, that initial reaction is still very much, I think, you know, in the membership's kind of view across the province. Um, you know, I think, obviously, we're always going to be open as local governments across the province to... Um, you know, third parties. I mean, we don't have any problem with, with, with best practices and keep on learning. So, you know, the, the stuff that's coming out of the, the audits that are that are useful, and we're going to adopt for sure. But I think ultimately, you know, the question is, the province tends to get get itself into trouble when they don't actually work with us on things that are so involved with the sector. Uh, the other issue I want to discuss with you is on the cannabis front. Uh, obviously, we're still in the throes of rolling this thing out. Uh, not a whole lot of cannabis stores out there, uh, but we do have a provincial budget coming up next week, and it will be the first one with legitimate tax revenue from legal marijuana. So uh, from your perspective, uh, number one, is there any update on the talks between UBCM and the province or reached some kind of cost-sharing formula for that tax revenue to flow to local governments? Or are we still in the process there? I think what I can say is that the committees are working very, very hard on that, very collaboratively, and we're looking, and I think we're all looking forward to what's going to be announced, hopefully, uh, in the budget. We don't know exactly what's going to be there, but we're, I think we're all monitoring very carefully uh, communities across the province about the, yeah, the, the share of the excise tax for local governments. I mean, our position all along is that, you know, we shouldn't be out of pocket. Obviously, we're already out of pocket. We know in Kamloops, for example, there's you know, been a lot of work done by, you know, our staff, and that's been moved across the province, people who've been, um, you know, putting stores uh, or having the process for stores to get, uh, to get approved. And so we're looking forward to some good news, hopefully, next week. So just to be clear, you're expecting the formula to be announced in the budget or no? Uh, I, think, I, I think expectations will probably be a strong word. I mean, we're hopeful. We're monitoring. Uh, we don't have any advanced knowledge of what's going to be happening out of the budget, but I think ultimately... You know, the process we have with the, with the, uh, the joint committee, there's that name again, uh, on cannabis regulation with the province has been, uh, has been good. So we're hopeful that something good will happen out of that in terms of an announcement. Uh, Minister James has had this stuff in front of her and the ministry folks at the Ministry of Finance. 
And, uh, again, you know, we're just waiting to see what's going to happen next week. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so, um, I mean, we'll have to wait and see on the formula side, Arjun. But, I mean, if there is indeed a formula and you guys have reached an accord, uh, when would you ideally expect marijuana tax revenues to begin flowing back to local governments? Yeah, I don't know that, uh, Shane. But I think, you know, our, our hope is that for a couple of years, you know, somewhere around 40% of the excise tax revenue will be coming back based on the model that was uh, sort of done in Ontario initially and uh, local governments there. And uh, we get that for a couple of years and we go, that would be what we've been saying. So, you know, again, like we'll just see how it unfolds. So we don't have any knowledge about exactly what's going to happen when and how it's all going to unfold at this point. Interesting. Uh- on uh, on next week's provincial budget, I mean, you were there for the throne speech this week. Uh, from a UBCM perspective, other than cannabis, what are you sort of keeping an eye on uh, when the provincial books are, are tabled next week? Yeah, so there's a lot of multi-year sort of commitments to province that sort of, you know, has around housing, uh, around uh, climate action, um, around child care. And those things are things we're waiting to see. We're hoping to see... Obviously, you know, funding of the British government for those things or monitoring to see what's going to be happening with that. I mean, I think the British government is moving with some urgency on a number of really important issues for the province. And, uh, you know, we just want to make sure that there's money in there for things that are kind of year-over-year commitments. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens. We're actually going to be in Victoria next week as UBCM executive or executive meeting. And uh, we'll have a good chance to sort of, you know, go over the, go over the details then and we'll kind of go from there. But it's, uh, you know, it's... Um, Again, throwing speech and budgets all is an interesting time of year, and local governments across the province will be watching very carefully on those multi-year commitments to see uh, what kind of money is in the new budget for those things. Would you say urgent housing, whether it be affordable or to deal with homelessness or, or whatever, uh, the housing issue is is the most important one in a municipal level as far as next week's budget or no? Uh, it is very important. There's a number of important things, but I think you know, housing has been a massive file for all of us, and you know, it's kind of a generational opportunity because for the first time in a long time, you know, federal, provincial government are really, you know, aligned with local governments on getting housing, you know, sort of done and organized. And we all have our roles to play in uh, in housing, uh, you know, supply and housing demand stuff. So it's uh, it's a pretty exciting time. So um, looking forward to see what's happening. And so I think, yeah, it's a very, very important file for all of us um, as we're seeing, you know, governments sort of starting to build lots more stuff and, and enable also, you know, the tooling of speculation and that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it, it's a very active, active issue, and I imagine there would be some big, uh, you know, announcements, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, the other issue I wanted to put on the table while I got you is is on money laundering. Uh, a lot of impetus uh, from different groups to, to do a public inquiry into this thing seems to be one of those stories that just every other day there's a massive turn. I'm just curious. I don't know if UBCM has a position on this or not. Or, no, well, we don't, but, actually. We haven't really talked about the money laundering thing in a really uh, expansive way. It's obviously something, I, I know Vancouver, but something uh, forward to the, to the province uh, yesterday, the day before, the city of Vancouver Council. You know, and we'll see what happens in terms of resolutions from the UBCM, you know, convention in September, and that would probably be the you know one way of that kind of becoming more of a UBCM thing. But at this point, we're just been working on this sort of uh, housing generally as kind of a issue around that. So uh, my lottery hasn't really entered into the UBCM conversations yet uh, at a provincial level. Okay, that's interesting. Is it? Is there any conversation sort of behind the closed doors at all, Arjun, about it? Is it something municipalities are sort of talking about and it just hasn't reached uh, the floor of the UBCM convention or no? Uh, I, I don't know, uh, actually, about what's happening in different governments around that in terms of 
private conversations. Not privy to most of those or all of those, actually, Jane. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think from a perspective, it's a uh, it's a membership driven organization. Things come through resolution for in the convention in September. All communities are welcome to put forward those things, and then we discuss it, and then. Yeah, they become UBCM policy if they're passed, or, and they don't if they're not passed. So that's kind of the process there. Interesting. Okay, Arjun, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Shane. Take care. Talk to you soon. That was UBCM President and, of course, Kamloops Councillor Arjun Singh talking about a variety of issues from the local government auditor general to cannabis legalization and more. We'll take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we'll turn our attention from news to sports as a big acquisition for the BC Lions. Mike Riley joins us. Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. Let me take this moment to be direct. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back. We're going to turn our attention now to the CFL. You just signed a four-year, $2.9 million deal, bringing him back into the fold with the Lions. Real pleasure to welcome to the program the BC Lions' new QB, Mike Riley. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, first off, uh, well, welcome back to the West Coast. And how do you feel about rejoining the old team? Uh, I mean, it's great to be back on the West Coast. You know, it's where I was born and raised in the Northwest. And um, the location and just uh, being comfortable around here is exciting. But it's great to be back with the BC Lions, obviously, where I started my career at. And, you know, going into the, the practice facility on Tuesday and signing the contract, it was, uh, um, you know, it was really cool to walk around the facility and just kind of remember all of the times over six years ago, but to be back in there and, and see some, some old faces and meet some new ones as well. I bet. Uh, listen, uh, as a sports decision, I'm sure it was fantastic, but uh, you're a guy who's uh, married. I understand you got a couple uh, daughters. Uh, from a family perspective, after six years in Edmonton uh, with the family, was it a tough decision? Uh, did you sit down as a family and talk it over? Was it, was it a tough go on that front or no? Uh, I mean, it was definitely a family decision for sure. You know, family is the most important thing to me. So, uh, you know, no decisions get made unless it's in the best interest of my family. And as you said, having two uh, young daughters, you know, we enjoyed our time in Edmonton. It was great. That's where we started our family. Both our daughters are born in Edmonton. But, um, you know, we have a year-round home in Seattle, and that's where my wife and kids live. Uh, they would travel for the games in Edmonton and things like that. So this move actually brings us closer to home, uh, which is a, a massive benefit, of course. But, um, you know, it's tough to leave a place like Edmonton where we've been for six years, where we've kind of, you know, uh, built ourselves into being part of the community and, and the successes that we've had on the field as a, as a team and a franchise and just you know, all the work you put into that. But, um, you know, so it's tough to leave that, but it's really exciting to be a part of, uh, you know, this new look BC Lions and, and where we plan on taking this franchise. And I'm certainly excited about it. Hopefully, uh, you know, the, the rest of the community and fan base is excited about what they're, you know, the changes that they're seeing that are being made. Absolutely. Uh, in coming back to the BC Lions, of course, you're coming back to a familiar face. Uh, uh, new Lions general manager Ed Hervey is a guy you know well. Back in 2012, he brought you into the fold, opened the door, uh, gave you a chance to be a starter in this league, and really, be, you know, uh, I think uh, was the guy behind your six-year run in Edmonton and, and all the magic you pulled off there. Uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship with Ed and how important that was to have him there in, in moving to the Lions. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ed was instrumental in my in me leaving DC and going to Edmonton. Um, you know, having being traded and then being comfortable enough to sign an extension right away was because of the conversations that I've had with Ed. Um, you know, and he spoke to me about his vision and plan in Edmonton, and they were, you know, in a tough time with the franchise and, and said, this is how I'm going to build it, um, and we're going to become a championship team, and, and I'm, you know, I want you to be a part of it, and, and I want to utilize you in a certain way. And all of that came to fruition. You know, I watched how he built it, how methodical that he was, and, and how he had a plan and, and a reason behind every decision that he made. Um, you know, and then fast forward six years later, we get to sit down and have, similar conversations, but now he's in a, in a different scenario in BC. Um, you know, and the ultimate goals are the same to build a championship team, but the way that, you know, he goes about doing it and his plan is not to just, uh, you know, throw everything together to try to have success, you know, right away for that one season and then, and then worry about the future later. You know, his plans are to build this into a, you know, perennial powerhouse team. And it's not an easy thing to do. And it takes a lot of work, but, I trust Ed, and I believe in Ed, and I've seen him do it before, and, and so he kind of sold me on that similar type of vision, but the differences were, you know, that it's not just about winning Grey Cup championships, it's about getting the community and the fan base excited and involved again in BC Lions football, and, and we want to pack BC Place, and, and we want them to be proud of, of the product that's on the field, but also to be excited about coming in and watching us play um, and to be entertained, and so... Uh, all of that stuff is something that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of, of rebuilding this franchise uh, in that respect, and, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, coming back to the Lions, of course, uh, six years later, they've they've got a new team, uh, maybe some familiar faces from six years ago, but also a lot of new ones as well. Uh, you're going to have to get to know them. You're going to have to click with receivers. Uh, I know the season's a couple months off yet, and, and you're still sort of freshly back in the fold, but uh, give me an idea of, of, of the steps you're going to take to kind of mesh your game and who you became in Edmonton with uh, all the new faces in that room in this PC Lions team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's part of the challenge, but part of something that I'm excited to take on. And, and as you said, there are some old faces, um, whether it's a couple of players in the locker room, but also, you know, some people in the in the front office and staff. It was great to see people like Giro Simon again. Um, you know, but that that's what these next three months are about because we don't want to come into training camp and, and have to start that process then because it is a long process and it's something that you always have to work at. So we want to come into training camp uh, feeling as if we've all played together for a long time and have already built that chemistry and the way that you do that is you work hard over these next few months and that process has already started. It started two days ago, you know, when I signed here. Um, it started, you know, before that for some of the guys that are, are veterans on the team, Brian Burnham being re-signed, but um, you know, I've already had lengthy conversations with Brian Burnham and T.J. Lee. Um, you know, Soup Chung was in the facility yesterday, and I've, I've talked to him multiple times. I, I spent 20 or 30 minutes on the phone with Deron Carter last night. Um, you know, Aaron Grimes is a new addition to the team, but he's a guy that I've been playing with for the last number of years, uh, since 2014 or 13 in Edmonton. Um, you know, and so there's, there's already a lot of that chemistry that's there, uh, but we're going to continue to be working on that. Uh, you know, again, the proximity to my, my home in Seattle, uh, it's a two-hour drive for me to get here. I'm going to be coming up uh, every two or three weeks for the remainder of the offseason and, and working with Jarius Jackson and Devon Claybrooks and the rest of the staff to make sure that, you know, I know the offense inside and out like I have been accustomed to in Edmonton and, and making sure that, 
you know, I'm on the same page as those wideouts and the O-linemen and things like that because, uh, again, we don't, we don't want to be knocking the rust off in May. We want to be, you know, we want people to see what we're doing and they're going to be shocked and they're going to assume that we've been playing together for years. That's the goal. Awesome stuff. Hey, I understand you and Travis Lule are, are good buds. Uh, any conversations with him, you know, either before making the decision or after? Absolutely. I mean, we, we were in constant communication during Great Cup Week. He was there uh, to do some media stuff, and, uh, and I was there because it was in Edmonton. So we spent that whole week together. Um, and then since then, pretty much all of December uh, and, and the first part of January, we talked once or twice a week. Uh, but really the last two or three weeks of ramped up, like we were talking once a day, um, you know, and discussing both of our futures, you know, because they kind of go hand in hand. And, and uh, he was the biggest proponent of me coming to BC. You know, he was constantly trying to sell me on the idea, talking to me about, you know, the great things that were in the plans and how, how excited he would be to have me uh, be in the fold and to come back to BC and, and take over. And, and, you know, he, he loves the franchise. He loves the city and the community and, and he wants the best for it. And he really felt like I would be a great addition to this team. So he spent a lot of time trying to sell me on the idea. Um, and I spent a lot of the time trying to kind of pick his brain to get a feel for what he wanted to do in the future. And, and, you know, he's taken his time, which is, is the best way to go about it. It's a big decision for him. You know, whether he wants to continue to play or not, and if he does want to play, uh, where does he want to do it? Does he want to try to stay here? Does he want to go somewhere else and all those things? So, um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of discussions about a lot of different things, but he's been uh, a massive supporter in terms of me making the decision to come out here and, and continue my career in D.C. Awesome. Um, uh, in Edmonton, uh, one of the big rivalries there, of course, uh, along with the NHL, is, is the constant tug of war between uh, Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, you know, having uh, Calgary and Edmonton face off in a CFL game always ratchets up the bar and the sense of competition. Uh, in a sense, that competition isn't going to go away for you. I know Bo Levi Mitchell is, is re-upped in Calgary, uh, and that's one of the main sort of rivalries between the Lions. So you're going to step into an old rivalry, albeit in a new in a new uniform. No question. I mean, that's the great part about our league is those rivalries and, and, and those games that are played. And, you know, it's between franchises, but as you said, it's also kind of, you know, between some of the players that, you know, me and Bo played a lot of football against each other. Um, and it's always been, you know, a, a very intense game. And so I'm excited for that for sure. Uh, like you said, I'll, I'll be with a different franchise and sport in different colors, but um, the intensity will be uh, the same, no less. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to see all the movement around the league. This has been the craziest CFL free agency that I've seen in the 10 years that I've been here. Um, you know, you got guys, Willie Jefferson going uh, to Winnipeg. Um, you know, Micah Johnson's moved on from Calgary. I'm in D.C. now. Um, you know, again, guys that we picked up like Deron Carter and Sig Chung and, and other teams, you know, Trevor Harris uh, replacing me in Edmonton. There's just been so much movement that, uh, the league is going to look a lot different next year in terms of the individual franchises, but um, you know the West certainly got tougher, uh, if that was even possible. You know, and it's the West is always a dogfight, but uh, seeing what we're building and seeing our roster take shape, uh, I like our chances. In fact, I love them, and I'm excited uh, to go out there and compete and, and do my part to help make BC a dominant force in the West again. 
Well, as you know, uh, the Lions hold their annual training camp right here in Kamloops, and we also broadcast your games on this station. So, uh, A, it's a real pleasure to take uh, take a few moments and chat with you this morning. Uh, welcome back to the BC Lions, and we look forward to welcoming you to Kamloops when you guys arrive in training camp time. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to you. Know, as much as you can look forward to training camp as a football player, you can't get a better venue than going to Kamloops. It's a beautiful area. The facilities are great. Um, and from what I remember, uh, it was a really enjoyable time, um, as much as it can be, for training camp to go up there. So I'm really looking forward to it, not just to get to work, but to, to enjoy the city and, and the views and, and all that type of stuff. So, again, thank you for having me on. Now, appreciate talking to you, Mike. All the best luck in the season. We'll be rooting for you. Uh, so we'll see you here in Kamloops soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. There we go. Uh, big acquisition for the BC Lions, brand new quarterback, a guy, as you heard, who's eager to get going, uh, get on the field and get her done, Mike Riley. And that's it for the Woodford Show. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again here tomorrow, except the name of the show changes Inside Politics coming your way tomorrow. Where the interior stays connected, this is CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station, Radio NL, 610 AM, local news now.